Hello and welcome to Planning People, the NMA podcast. This week we will be discussing the Financial Conduct Authority's uh, recent platform paper and in particular our own response to it which we've published and is on our website. Here to do that with me is NMA News Editor Charles Wormsley. Hello Charles. Hi Ollie, thanks for inviting me. No worries. First question is a fun question Charles. If you were the CEO of a platform company, uh, how would you feel about what the FCA has said? Yeah, uh, well, I've spoken to a few CEOs of platform companies, um, both before and after the report, and uh, I think there is a little bit of an impression that the uh, paper is looking in the wrong place, that it's uh, kind of just... And they, obviously, there's a sense that you know, they would say this, wouldn't they? They're platform chief executives. Sure. But I think they kind of feel that you've had the asset management paper... And that put a lot of emphasis on the fund managers to uh, be more transparent with pricing and to, um, although the FCA keeps stressing it's not a price regulator, to effectively charge a bit less because realistically what a lot of the funds they were paying for were underperforming. And in that paper there was a few mentions of platforms and the suggestion was that perhaps maybe the fund managers were saying, well, now you've looked at us, you've got to look at everyone else. Don't blame us. We're not the ones doing this. It's the platforms. So the SA has gone to look at platforms and the the actual paper really doesn't point out too much that's going wrong. It doesn't highlight anything that's a major issue. So I'd feel quite happy on that front. But I would, I guess my annoyance would be that it seems to dart around the edges of a lot of things Mm. that's maybe putting... um, some things up up in the air that weren't before and i think that's i think that's what we're going to go on to talk about um with stuff like charges in particular um that i think will maybe worry some platform chief executives um particularly if there's a radical move Mm -hmm. okay an enormous issue for platform companies particularly the provider uh owned platforms as you're well aware is obviously technology uh, how do you feel about the, uh, you know, the technology debacle that's been occurring with some platforms and the way in which the FCA did or did not address that? Yeah, because it seems to be the, it seems to be the biggest thing at the moment. It's the oh, biggest story. Definitely. I mean, and I think it's once again the FCA. I, I, I think this is so true with the, their views on um, technology-driven businesses as platforms are. They always seem behind the times and they're playing catch-up, so they're mm. responding to issues um, because you've got to remember the platform study was announced last last year mm. and most of the platform technology problems have come in the first few months of this year mm. um, so already the FCA is behind uh, and is, I mean on that front I do think they are actually probably talking to the platforms um, but um, yeah I think uh, it's, it's something they need to really consider how this works because you've got a position where you are, a lot of these companies are outsourcing to one or two providers. Um, companies called FNZ in particular has taken on a loss of business, mm-hmm. um, but there is also um, Bravura and GBST. And they're administering so many assets that realistically, are they getting overworked? There's mm-hmm. suggestions that that's happening. Um, are they linking up as well as they should be doing with the actual platform providers? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how the platform providers in particular are dealing with this because um, 
both Aviva and Aegon are the two who've had big problems. Yeah. Um, they have been, um, Aegon this week had its financial results. They said, the chief executive agent, Grace, said it would be finished in six weeks. They plan to clear their black backlog. Mm. So uh, Aviva's not quite put as solid a date on, but is mm. still saying it will be sorted. Um, and they are also promising to pay compensation. So you know, if as long as people aren't losing out, I suppose ultimately that's the big issue. If they're not, then it's fine. Um, but let's say I'm a bit sceptical about whether they will actually fix these issues within yeah, sure. the next six weeks. Um, and six weeks is a long time in advisor land. Well, that's the thing as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a long time. And it's a big issue for them losing the trust of advisors. Um, so it, it will... Let's see how long the, it has. Um, I just don't really know what... I'm sure the FCA is doing stuff behind the scenes that we're not aware of, of and keeping an eye on it. So, um, but yeah, I think this platform paper completely missed what has become the biggest issue. Mm. And I think that's a shame because I think the, that's an area the FCA needs to set out a clearer strategy on technology. Just coming on to the, uh, our response, uh, yes. which was uh, published on uh, the NMA website, was it last week? Yes. Uh, the response sets out quite a few uh, interesting areas of concern, and one of them is market competition, uh, where we effectively say, you know, it's, it's very important that uh, there's a fair spread of, um, you know, market share, and that you know not all the eggs are in uh, one company's basket, so to speak. I'm very intrigued by what you said about the technology issue, because even if you were to look at the the market share at the moment of, you know, platform companies and how much sort of assets across the board they hold. Um, if the if the biggest issue for platforms at the moment is technology, and as you say, the a lot of this uh, sort of infrastructure is being outsourced to a very small amount of companies. Yeah. Surely that has to be a huge concern, right? Because you know, these are the companies that are providing the basic bread and butter functions that are going to be administering yeah. uh, like a large number of people's assets. So completely, that's got to be the behind the scenes issue. Yeah, you, the, you completely got the the issue there that I think. Um, you've just got such a concentration of uh, company, you know, large amounts of assets being controlled by such a small concentration, such a small number of companies that I think um, it's something the FCA hasn't got a handle on and it hasn't really, you should, they, there's not, and there's not much in it for a new provider to come in and be the technology mm. behind um, these platforms because what's, the um, regulator, what's what's so? What are they going to do to to show that they've done it before? But the com life companies, when they set up a platform, want to experience. Yeah. But there's only two or three companies that have that experience. Yeah. It seems pretty much everyone, banks included, are turning to FNZ for some reason. Mm. Um, clearly, they have a good proposition, um, whether and are good at making making their case. Yeah. But and what at what point? I, I, maybe we're touching actually upon a bigger issue here for the FCA in that it's done this platform study as part of its um, competition remit. Yeah. But how can a regulator really create competition? It can't go and say, yeah. F and Z, we don't want you to be doing this because there's no evidence at really. You know, there have been a few issues with the Aviva platform, but there's no evidence really that it's like a massive problem that F and Z has created. They're just you know, a, a company that a good company mm. uh, in in this respect, and yet they are 
the, the, FCA, so the FCA can't just say you can't use them anymore. You have to use a new provider because that's well, artificial what they, competition. What would they do? Exactly. So, um, I mean, on this point, there was an interesting, like, there's a few lines in one of the appendixes of the platform study, um, which if if you're a fun person like me, you would have read. <laughs> um, but uh, they said they basically found that platforms which have their own technology, so I think that's Transact and AJ Bell, maybe there's a few more, um, but they are at a competitive advantage when it comes yeah. to the um, comes to the market at the moment because they're not spending so much on these outsource contracts yeah. and uh, all these reasons. So uh, I imagine that may pretty grim reading for some of the live companies who have uh, spent a lot on yeah. these outsourcing deals. I imagine that if you were the FCA, you would be wanting to deal with all of this very sensitively because some of the companies involved, are, you know, they're listed, they have shares that go, yeah. share prices that go up and down. But that said, it very much feels to me as though that you know the FCA. You know, it should almost have been declaring a sort of state of emergency. You know, it, it strikes me that some of the companies involved here, they're just, you know, they're, they're kind of in a bit of a crisis, particularly when it comes to this, uh, the advisor issue and servicing advisors. Yeah, I, I think maybe going a bit far, saying state of emergency. Um, and as I said earlier, I do think the FCA behind the scenes is having conversations yeah. and is saying, you know, they don't, because there's a worry that you know, if you declare a state of emergency, you create more problems. Absolutely. More and sort of and, panic. Um, I don't know if you remember that this was, it was a few years ago, um, quite a while back, but uh, it still comes up occasionally on the life settlements issue when someone, Margaret Cole at the FSA, as it was then, yeah. said, described them as uh, toxic uh, and it, it destroyed the life settlement market and left yeah, millions yeah. of investors out of pocket. Yeah. You know, maybe she had a point. I think they were slightly. Yeah, they were high-risk investments, yeah. but by saying that, the regulator has to be very careful about what it does yeah. to the market. Um, Particularly in the it, wake of the closed book scandal, right? Yes, you know, and that's as well. In terms of what it says. Um, so I think, uh, I think the essay is probably actually taking a sensible approach, but I think to publish a paper on platforms that completely... You know, it doesn't mention technology apart from occasionally passing on mm. issues like competition. Uh, it's just a missed opportunity for the regulator to say. If you something. were, if you were Andy Bell right now, would you be thinking, you know, well, that was a good decision to do a technology ourselves? Yeah, and if I was Ian Taylor at Transact, yeah. I'd be thinking that um, because yeah, ultimately. <laughs> I'm sceptical about outsourcing in general, so because you might as well keep it under your own costs. Yeah. Um, into when it comes to better the devil you know. Yeah, <laughs> particularly on technology, which is uh, unpredictable sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think AJ Bell in a good position. So and Transact as well. There seem to be some. Um and it seems to be quite a big player uh, in the citywide response to the uh, the platform study about financial language term terminology, um, the sort of impen the classic impenetrability of you know BIPs, PRIPs, abbreviations, etc. etc. Um, is it likely that the FCA will recommend or enforce a sort of single agreed upon approach to all of that in terms of the customer's yeah. ability to understand what's going on? I don't think they can. No, okay. It's, it's just language, isn't it? Yeah. Semantic. What can you do? It's, yeah. Uh, it would be nice if there was consistency, but um, I don't think it will be 
something that the FCA, again, that the FCA can do much about mm. um, because ultimately people will have a different different ways of thinking about how to present it. It doesn't strike me that it'd be particularly high up on their to-do list given all the other things that are going on. That, that's true as well, or, although sometimes I do think they have a tendency to focus on things like that at the expense of actually yeah, fixing the functional some, stuff. some issues. Um, in our response we said, you know, we believe each D2C platform should have a fee calculator section whereby the consumer can put in what they're going to invest and in what tax wrapper and the website gives them a clear statement of all costs over, for instance, a 10-year timescale of investment broken down uh, per year. Is that another example of sort of, sort of, uh, as you said, sort of dancing around the edges with uh, trivial stuff or is that more Yeah, important? I, I guess they, you're getting to something that is important to D2C investors. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I think a lot of D2C investors are quite kind of, I mean, so there's a broad market, but really a lot of them, to my experience, seem to be kind of hobbyists who just want to yeah. make, a, make a few trades and, and you know, they're fairly, I would describe them as fairly like, you know, I don't like the term actually, but sophisticated in terms of they know mm. they, their investments and stuff. And they, I don't think many of them are actually as that naive on their charges or they yeah. use they they kind of think well, we're this is just my playtime money basically yeah. that kind of high net worth sort of yes. I wonder whether that that means that there's a sort of group of people who they're you know they're not experts in the sense that they have sort of investment management certificates, um, but their you know their eagerness or keenness means that their risk capacity is. You know, a little bit higher. So yeah, and yeah. I, it's the, they've got it's their choice to use it, and yeah. they they probably know a little bit at least. Because um, I, I mean, I spoke to the Hargreaves Lansdowne chief executive, and you can read the story on our website because um, they have a financial advice division. I just thought it was interesting how they have a lots of one-off advice, mm. and I think that to me is kind of the D to C client because it's someone who will, will need advice for big decisions, but realistically, yeah. they actually know quite a bit because they've spent a lot of time, you know, the financial nerds, as it were, mm. and fair play to them, they, they're actually making an effort. But um, I think, so I think in when it comes to the fee calculator, yeah, more transparency is great, but I wonder how many people actually are blind to the fact that they're getting charged, what they're getting charged on those kind of platforms. Okay. Um, I think when fees do get interesting, uh, I think you're about to move on to it, is, um, and probably the, you know, the, the biggest, most important thing we're saying in this is the idea of who actually pays for the platform, yeah. whether it should be the advisor um, or the client. Mm. Um, so we said in our response, we think there should be, um, there should at least be a discussion and, um, probably a move to the advisor themselves paying for it. Um, and we said this because in our view, um, the platform is really part of the advisor's business. It's yeah. what they use for a loss of their... It's a tool. It's a tool, yeah. Um, and it's really important that they, that the, the, the client gets a better deal on this because ultimately this concern came up in the study that Clients are paying for tools they're not using, they're not seeing, and they are benefiting them. Yeah, but are they going to be benefiting every single client? Yeah. Probably not. Um, so, in our view, 
it should be, it makes a lot of sense for advisors to be paying for all this, and you know, in part because they know how much is, how much value it is. Yeah. So if one platform is offering a particular um, kind of um, you know, tax tool that another platform isn't, the client has no idea. Yeah. They can't negotiate on this. They can't work out how much they're how much they should be paying for it. Whereas an advisor can say, well, yes, this this means a lot to me, yeah. so I'll pay more for this platform. Or they can say, this means less to me, so you know, I'll use your platform, but only if you give me a discounted price. Yeah. So, Do you think it has the capacity to, uh, the potential to sort of level out the playing field in terms of the competition, competition issue there? Potentially, there's a big um, sense that, you know, one of our arguments is that as well, if advisors are, paying themselves, there's much more of an incentive for them to negotiate uh, a different price, mm. um, something that's maybe um, more representative uh, of of their um, of of what they're getting, basically. Mm. Um, so, um, how do you think advisors feel about it? Like, well, it's you, mixed. Any... We've had plenty of responses because um, a few advice businesses already do this and. Um, yeah, the, the big debate is whether they pass it on to the client yeah. in the form of higher advice charges sure. or whether they absorb it themselves. Um, I think you could make a case for both because um, if they were passing it on to the client, the client wouldn't necessarily be paying anymore mm -hmm. because they'd just be paying the advisor back for the fees they were previously paying direct to the platform. Um, uh, so, yeah, we've, we've had responses as well in our article. Um, Ian Taylor, the chief executive of Transact, replied he was against the idea. Um, his comment is worth reading um, uh, because Ian Taylor, you know, he is platforms. He, he basically helped invent, yeah, he helped invent them in the UK. Um, but, um, so, but we've also had this, Clive Waller has responded. He's also a very um, influential um, and very, uh, knowledgeable platform consultant um, and uh, actually runs the platform awards every year. Um, he He's written something for us that will be going online next week um, about the platform, about our suggestions. Um, he's, um, I, again, that'll be worth reading. Um, so he, he sort of, a lot of his argument is making the same point that I was making earlier, but this idea that really the, the true cost of a platform is most known by the advisor, and the true usefulness is. Yeah. Um, and I, he makes a very good case that I think uh, you should all, you know, if you're interested in this, will be worth reading. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think this issue will, will be controversial, and I think there'll definitely be some people who are um, against the advisor paying. Mm. Um, but realistically, I think it's a move that we've got to be open to. Uh, the advisors have to be open to, and I think um, from speaking to people within platforms, I think there are plenty who would like to see at least a discussion on this. Um, and one thing um, I know um, a couple of platforms are interested in is this idea of maybe this could be paved the way for a more bespoke charging. So in some cases, the client will be paying because you know, the advisor will pass that on. But in other cases, um, when perhaps when it's more complicated and there's more tools needed, um, the advisor will be able to pay themselves and pass on, you know, negotiate a discount on those. Mm -hmm. um, so I think 
And you know, to get back to the point of competition, that's where we'll start to see differences, start seeing competitions, start seeing new propositions. Because um, I think you know, one point that's always made, and I would, would want that to, and I think it's an important one, and is that the FCA's approach to platforms is that they are a um, product. Now, a platform isn't really a product, it's a service. It's a service. And that's why, advice, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier, that it's really part of advisors' back office. Mm. And for that reason, it makes much more sense for the advisor to pay for it and assess it that way than for them to charge the client and assess it as a product mm. that really they're not getting much from other than it being a great place for them to hold their funds and yeah. to see, you know, they can see stuff much more easily. But it's not something that they use actively in the same way, and it's not a product in the same way that a fund is or um, you know, a particular investment is. It's just, it's different. Hmm. I'm gonna ask you the prediction question. Predictions are obviously uh, fraught with, um, with difficulty and uncertainty. Um, 10 years time, will, the, will advisors be paying for platforms? I think some will. I think a lot, I think, um, like I say, I think this is gonna open it up to discussion at least, and I think um, ultimately, I don't think the FCA is actually going to mandate, say, advisors, you have to pay for platforms. Mm. What they will do, though, is maybe suggest to platforms, because um, I don't know if there's actually anything in the way of platforms doing this now, but suggest, well, you should be encouraging advisors to mm. pay, or so platforms themselves. Best practice rather than sort of... Yeah, exactly, and platforms themselves yeah. And that's how you, that, I guess that's how you change the market. It's, yeah. it, it will come down to the platforms themselves being the ones who say, this is how we're doing it now. And um, yeah, and I think uh, it will be a choice for advisors to make. And I think a lot of them will end up choosing to pay themselves mm. because that will be, you know, otherwise they'll be facing competition from elsewhere that yeah. isn't doing that. And just finally, in one year, do you think all the platform technology trolls will be over? No. There'll be a lot more to come, I think, from not just from the ones who are currently going through it. Well, that's a good note to end on. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. I should just add, if you do have any thoughts on the advisors paying for platforms idea and you want to make them known, do get in touch by emailing news at citywire.co.uk. Um, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast on iTunes, you obviously should, uh, but you can listen to all our back catalogue by visiting the NMA website and clicking on the podcast tab. Uh, that's all for now. Join us again next week uh, and goodbye. Thanks so much.